items that were selected this morning that are expressive of our dependency upon the great God that we serve. And uh, I'd like to uh, ask you to open your Bibles with us to the familiar book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. While we're going there, I'd like to express my appreciation to the church here for inviting us and your hospitality and kindness to us. And uh, I appreciate your efforts to serve and honor our great and worthy King, Jesus Christ. But this uh, morning, if God would be with us, I have upon my heart uh, the subject, the riches of His grace. The riches of His grace. This expression is very common to the Apostle Paul's writings. And we find it uh, as it appears in verse 7 of chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now turn over to Ephesians 2, verse 7, where Paul writes, That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And then we want to notice uh, chapter 3, verse 8, where Paul writes, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul is, is presenting the nature of the grace of God. It's rich. And I would like to unpack that uh, for us just a little while. As we uh, think about the subject of grace, that's nothing that's unusual or uncommon to any of you. Uh, most of us have been raised up under the sound of the doctrines of grace. We value those doctrines because they describe the, the true character of God's favor toward us. Grace in itself is the unmerited favor uh, bestowed upon an undeserving object. That's the word charis in the Greek language. It's, it's something that is a gift. It's unearned. Uh, no, none are qualified to receive, but it's something that God dispenses in accordance with his own sovereign pleasure and will. And most of us will we, we'll, we'll come to that point um, easily. But there are several things I want to notice that are on the heart of the Apostle Paul, especially with respect to uh, the Christian church, those who understand the teachings of grace. It was, it was the Apostle Paul that reminded us over and over again that, that God is the God of all grace. He, he's the originator of, of grace. And in that grace or in that unmerited favor, God bestowing upon us, 
God is going to get glory to his name. The Apostle Paul can write about the grace of God and uh, teach about the grace of God because he's a recipient of the grace of God. Amen? The only ones that can talk really about the grace of God are those who have received it themselves. In Acts chapter 9, when the apostle Paul, who was then Saul of Tarsus, was on his way to Damascus, you know the story well, how he's on his way to Damascus to get those dirty old Christians and grace believers and and cast them into a dungeon or prison or death or whatever uh, he might have on his mind. And he's, he's very intentional in his pursuit of these Christians because he wants to close the gate to the eastward travel of the gospel and And there he met Jesus Christ. Do you remember when you met Jesus Christ? Do you remember that moment? That change that resulted in your life, in your worldview? The Apostle Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And by the way, he wasn't looking for him. He wasn't seeking after him. Somebody says, well, if you'll just, if you'll just uh, uh, search long enough and hard enough, uh, you, you're going to ultimately find him one day. Well, I'll tell you what, you'll never find Jesus until he finds you. He found Jacob in the waste Howling wilderness. He found Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And that persecutor became the greatest preacher the world's ever seen, (laughs) apart from Jesus Christ. (laughs) The Apostle Paul knew something about God's grace because he had received it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, the Apostle said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. For I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was given to me. If you have an opportunity to read the biography of John Newton, it's well worth the read. And in that great uh, biography, when John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, when he was in his 82nd year, he was close to the end of his journey and He had lost his eyesight. He was blind. And uh, he gathered uh, six of his young uh, minister students in his home before services every Sunday. And they would discuss uh, theology and the scriptures and pray together before the service. And he was standing one time beside the fireplace and a young uh, one of his young ministry students said, uh, Brother Newton, I'm studying the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians and I come across 1 Tim. I am what I am by the grace of God. Would you please comment on the meaning of that verse? And John Newton gave one of the best descriptions of what that verse means that I've ever read. He looked toward these uh, students and he said what that verse means personally to me is that 
I am not today what I want to be. I am not today what I'm going to be. But thank God I am not today what I once was. Brothers and sisters, I believe that's the nature of grace. There's a a noted change in the life of an individual that truly receives that, that great gift from God on high. It was Paul that said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, You have known the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he was rich but became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. The riches of God are tenable. They are measurable, but not by the measure of the world. The world does not account of riches in the same manner that God accounts riches. In the personal ministry of Jesus Christ, on one occasion in Luke 18, when he went to the temple, he noticed that there was a widow woman that gave uh, what is equivalent to a half a penny. And she gave that uh, freely and and wholly and uh, with a great deal of devotion to Jehovah. She gave everything she had and put it in the uh, offering plate. And there were others there that were contributing out of their riches. They were contributing out of their wealth. And they would announce um, before they would uh, give their offering, they would make sure the newspapers had their cameramen on site. They would give to a, a building program as long as the building had their name on it. You see, that kind of giving that is common in the world today. And Jesus had his disciples with him and he says, I want you to see something here, boys. I want you to see that this widow woman that has given this half penny has given more than all these others put together. And they said, how can this be? Here all these wealthy people are giving the tons of money and time and all of this and with a great deal of pomp and notoriety, and this little widow woman comes up privately and secretly and and puts in this little half a penny, and you're saying that that's of more value to God than all of this other giving put together? And Jesus gave him a great lesson. He says, she has given of her living. In other words, she has sacrificed in her life in order to give to the work of God. And Jesus said, this is far more value than all of these others that have given the extras that they've had. You see, the measurement of riches is different from a heavenly perspective than it is an earthly perspective. So the Apostle Paul is teaching, ye have known the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he was rich but became poor. Remember, 
Jesus Christ existed before the incarnation. He was one with the Father before time ever began. He left the shining portals of glory to come into a sin-cursed earth to suffer, bleed, and die for His people. He left a place where angels waited upon Him. He left a place where there was nothing but purity, nothing but holiness, nothing that would grieve the heart of a holy God. And He came into a sin-cursed world. And Paul puts the word grace on that. You have known the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that he was rich. But he became poor. Impoverished. Remember. Jesus Christ. His own words. He said. The birds of the air have nests. And the foxes have holes. But the son of man hath not where to lay his head. Didn't even have a bed. The only thing that we read about in the scriptures that Jesus ever uh, possessed was, was, his, uh, was his garment that they took from him when they hung upon the cross. And, and remember, they gambled for that. Jesus didn't even have a tomb. He had to borrow the tomb. But thankfully, he only had to borrow it because he didn't need it very long. But you see, brothers and sisters, this morning, I want you to, I want you to hear the heart of the Apostle Paul as he, uh, as he uh, radiates this grace that he himself had been given. This grace that is unearned and unmerited. Uh, I like to use acronyms. Uh, children, an acronym. Uh, here's an acronym in grace. G-R-A-C-E. I want you to write this down and, and think it over. Think about it. Uh, this is an apt um, meaning of the word grace. G, God, God's, uh, uh, R, riches, A, at, uh, C, Christ's, E, expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a worthy definition of what the Apostle Paul has himself experienced. You see, he's not talking from a theological background where he studied for year after year after year to find out about the truth of Christ. He knew Christ. And brothers and sisters, I I believe I've met individuals. I've met preachers, so-called preachers that can preach uh, circles around me, they, they, they can preach the theological intrigues of the Greek and the Hebrew language, and they can just uh, uh, fascinate you with so many, um, uh, so many theological and academic illustrations, but they don't know Christ. That's not the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a brilliant student under the uh, Tutorage of uh, uh, Gamaliel, who was the most famous rabbi of the first century. And that's saying a lot, because there were hundreds. But he was the number one teacher in Jerusalem, and he had a student named Saul at his feet. He, he, he was brilliant. He was brilliant in so many ways. But he was never useful 
in the kingdom of God until he met Christ. He could never speak about the true grace of a covenant-keeping God until he himself had been a recipient of it. And what he is writing to the church at Ephesus is meaningful and powerful with respect to the riches of that grace. Contextually, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus um, is unique in so many ways. It's one of the four prison epistles. He would be imprisoned at Rome twice, actually, but the first, in, his, in his first imprisonment, he wrote four letters. He wrote the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Philippians, the letter to the Colossians, and the book or the letter to Philemon. These are called prison epistles. So here the Apostle Paul is imprisoned, uh, but rather than writing a letter saying, poor me, poor me, rather than writing a letter saying, I just can't believe that God is treating me this way. I just can't believe that I'm going through this hardship or this difficulty or this uh, trying circumstance. I just can't believe that God would treat me this way. He writes one of the most moving pictures of the riches of God's grace that's ever been written. He has this church on his heart for a reason. Remember in Acts chapter 19 when the apostle Paul journeyed to Ephesus. God opened a door to him that was so unique that he spent three years of his life living in this city. This was the city that was the gateway to all of Asia. And here he would teach night and day and raise up ministry servants in that, uh, uh, in that uh, wonderful city. And they would go out from the church at Ephesus and establish churches all over what we know as modern day Turkey today. Modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. And what's so intriguing about that is archaeologically... They continually find in just about every major city in Turkey today, they can find ruins of an ancient Christian church. Isn't that amazing? After 2,000 years, all over Asia. But these servants started out over here at Ephesus. And they heard this this Jewish preacher named Paul. And Paul introduced to them the riches of the grace of God. So let's look at this first chapter. In the time that we have, I just want to highlight, I'm not going to be able to get too deep with you in this chapter this morning, but I, I want to highlight some important uh, principles in this introduction of the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He's, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, not, not because I ran for office, not because I feel worthy of this calling, not because I've trained enough or been instructed enough of others, but no, no, no. He says, the only reason I'm here is because of God's will. It was God's will to call me to be 
an apostle. And he's writing to the saints. Now, don't please don't let that, that term um, shake you up. Because, because it's, a very, it's a very important term that relates to born-again believers. It, it's a hyphenated word. Saints is a hyphenated word from sanctified ones. Those who have been born again, those who have been converted to the truth of Christ and brought into the community of believers called the ecclesia, the church, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, these words are not going to mean anything to you if you're not faithful in your uh, trusting in Christ for your salvation and your help today. It's not going to mean anything to you. Grace, he starts out every epistle with this grace. And he, by the way, he ends it too. Did you notice that? This is Paul's, uh, uh, Paul's method. He begins with grace and ends with grace. You know why? Because when you're talking about salvation, friends, it's every bit of grace. Somebody recently told me, well, I believe it's by grace, but... I believe that you have to repent of sin. Well, of course. Of course you have to repent of sin. But you're not going to repent of sin without grace. Oh, I believe that all right. But, but I, I still believe that a man has to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, of course. We have to believe or trust in Jesus Christ as a, our Savior. We have to do that. But you can't do that, friend, apart from God's grace. Well, somebody says, well, I, I just believe that you, you need to bear the fruit of a Christian all of your life. And then, and then at the end of the journey, that's when you will uh, be assured that you have eternal salvation. Well, there's a merit of truth in that. But brother, you can't bear fruit apart from God's grace. It's God's grace in the beginning. It's God's grace in the middle. And it's, it's God's grace in the end. Everything about salvation is the result of God's grace and His riches in the bestowal of that grace. Listen carefully as we touch on these points very quickly. The riches of His grace. Verses 3 through 6 are describing the blessings from, that we have from God the Father. Listen carefully. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. You've heard this many times, I know. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Where? Where are those heavenly places? In Christ. Catch that. According or in accordance with as he, God the Father, hath chosen us in him, in Christ the Son. Before, when? 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 When did he choose us? Well, uh, preacher, that's when we chose God. When God, we choose God, that's when he chooses, chooses us. Is that what Paul wrote? Well, that's, a, that's another translation. If you're, if you're saying, yeah, that's what Paul wrote, you've got the wrong translation. Because he did not say it was dependent, God's choice of us was dependent upon our choice of him. I want you to see the truth of the riches of his grace. According as he, God, hath chosen us in him, in Christ, before 
the foundation of the world. Before we ever existed, before Adam was ever created, he made choice of a people in Christ even before time began. And it was his will, his volition, his intent, his divine purpose to bring every one of those who was chosen in covenant to eternal glory at the end of the age. Because he continues that, so that, according as he has chosen us in Christ from the, before the foundation of the world, that, so that, we should be, what? What? Holy saints, holy sanctified, holy separated, holy and without blame, without blame, without condemnation, before him in love. How did that happen? He continues. Verse 5, having predestinated us according to the, uh, excuse me, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of the sinner's will? No. According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise, listen carefully, to the praise of the glory of His grace. See? Not, not to the praise and the glory of your worthiness. But to the praise and the glory of His grace. Wherein He, God, hath made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the righteous one. In whom, in Christ, we have redemption... Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. What do we have very quickly in understanding this passage? The blessings from God the Father are described here. Election. God electing his people before time began. Predestination. God predetermining that his people would be with him in the end of time. Adoption. God, uh, the word adoption means to take from one family and place in another. That's exactly what God does with his children. He takes them from the fallen race of man and places them in the family of God. So that he's our father. He's our father. That is in heaven. Much, much, much could be said there. And then acceptance. Boy, this is something, isn't it? We have been accepted. Not based upon our own merit, but based upon the merit of Christ. Because in all reality, when it comes to righteousness, we're impoverished. When it comes to righteousness, we don't have a farthing to pay. We're 10,000 talents in debt without one farthing to pay. The only way that that debt can be paid is someone that has the riches to pay it. Will, is willing to come in our stead and place upon that, uh, uh, that debt uh, his uh, article of payment. So that when, um, when that debt is paid, you can see a paid in full stamp. On that document. 
How many of you have ever uh, bought, uh, purchased um, a house or land and it took you a little time to pay for it and after you accomplished uh, payment of those uh, of what was required they gave you a, a deed uh, uh, that, that signifies that you're the owner and on that deed it says the debt was paid in full. That's a, that's a, a wonderful thing because that means it belongs to you. Well, let me hasten to say this morning that when Jesus Christ hung upon the tree of the cross and he was there at the close of that six hours of torment and the darkness that uh, was in that, night, in, the, in that hour and the earthquake had already happened and the veil of the temple had already been rent top to bottom and, and there our Savior hung suspended between heaven and earth and uh, according to John chapter 19, verse 30, he says, uh, 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 My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And at the close of that uh, very moment, he says, It is finished, tetelestai. It is, it is accomplished, tetelestai. It is paid in full, tetelestai. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He died in our room in the stead. He took our sins in His body on the cross and gave us His righteousness in return. Ah, do you see the riches of grace? The riches of that grace that comes from the Father is the riches of divine election. The Bible, don't let anyone teach you that election just pertains to Israel in the Old Testament. Have you ever heard that? If I had the time, I could preach, I promise you, I could preach several sermons just on the doctrine of election in the New Testament. But that's not my purpose here this morning. I want you to see the broader view of this uh, riches of grace. Not only in divine election, not only in um, divine predestination and the work of adoption and the acceptance that we have before a holy God. But also, secondly, I want you to see the blessings that we have from God the Son. The blessings that we have from God the Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 7, we have this redemption through His blood. We have this forgiveness of sins. We have this grace, right? Watch verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known unto us. This is something that uh, was hidden for generations. But now is made known through the gospel. He hath made known unto us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure. Which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times. And our sermon there. He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in Him. I, I tell you, brothers, I get excited about it. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I, when I read and study these words. I find in them the nature of God's saving grace and how that He hath made me a, a poor and unworthy sinner to hope in Christ, to trust in the living Lord. And through Him I have been given an inheritance that I could in no way deserve. Nor could I ever earn. 
We have redemption in Him, forgiveness of sins in Him, the revelation of God's divine purpose in Him, in Christ. And we have this inheritance that is given to us and us given to Christ as His inheritance itself. And then he says, uh, it's according, being predestinated in verse 11, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Listen to this, brothers and sisters, this is the counsel of a divine will that can never falter, nor can it ever be changed. It can never be uh, fraught. It can never be overthrown. The purpose of God in salvation can never be overthrown. Because it's not based upon the will of man. It's not based upon the ingenuity of man. It's not based upon you and your faithfulness. It's based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what it's based on. And nothing can change that. Riches. Ah, if you're a believer this morning, listen to me young people. If if you've trusted in Christ for your salvation... You're rich. You may be poor by the world's standards. You may not have the fanciest car or fanciest clothes or fanciest things in this world. You may not. But if you know and love Jesus Christ, you're rich above measure. That's what Paul is saying from his prison cell so long ago. Verse 12, so that... (laughs) Here's the purpose. So that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. You know, he's referring first in order of time. Uh, The Jew, the first church church in Jerusalem was made up of Jews. They first trusted in Christ. But now, because of God's grace, you Gentiles have also trusted in him as well. I've got I've to wrap this up pretty quick. But we not only have the riches of, of this grace seen from God the Father and the blessings that we have from God the Son, but we also see the blessings that we have from God the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit that seals us. It's the Spirit that preserves us. Listen to this. In verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1. In whom ye also, now ye also, you Gentiles, non-Jewish people, you also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were what? What? Sealed. Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Hallelujah. Sealed. This is an identifying mark. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the first installment of the blessings uh, uh, of God's, of the riches of God's grace in your life. Listen to this. Boy, this is rich to me. Which is the earnest of our inheritance. The earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. I want you to underline in your Bible, if you have your study Bible with you, underline the word earnest. Because listen to what that means. In the, even in Greek society today, there is a word that they use that is found here. 
It is the word Erebon. Now, now that doesn't mean much to us in Oklahoma, Erebon. But have you ever heard of a man giving a, a woman a promise ring? Is that what you call it? When you're, when you're committed to one person, uh, promising to marry them at a later date. This is right before engagement. This is not engagement. This is the promise. Uh, when you're sure that that's the one for you, and uh, you give them a ring to symbolize a future blessing, a future action, marriage. We call it a promise ring. In Greece, they call it Erebon. And Erebon is a ring with a precious stone. It doesn't have to be a diamond, but a precious stone. And it's given at the time of betrothal. And, uh, and, and what's so intriguing to me is Paul could have used several different words. He, there, there are several different words or terms Paul could, could have used in this verse. But he chose Erebon on purpose. Because what he's showing us is that the Holy Spirit that we receive today, he lives inside us, is shining the light of God's grace on a future blessing. And I believe that's the marriage of the Lamb. A future day when Jesus is going to come back for his family and take us into the new Jerusalem. I, I just, I, I kind of get chill bumps when I think about this. This is the riches of his grace that he gives us today so that we'll have confidence for tomorrow. And nothing can change that promise. We can lose the White House, we can lose the Supreme Court, we can lose Congress, we can lose all sense of sanity in Washington, D.C., and it's not going to affect that promise one bit. We can lose our economy, we can lose our freedom, we can lose our possessions in this wicked world, but we cannot lose what God has given us, the Father hath given us in His Son, Jesus Christ, and verified by the giving of His Spirit in our hearts. This is our Erebon. This is His promise that that marriage day is going to come. But you're there this morning and you're saying, but why? Why is it coming? How is it coming? And why are you so sure about it? Because the Bible teaches us about the riches of God's grace. Thank you for your very kind attention. God bless you.